Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 105 with Bob Colhan. Bob was a whole lot of fun. We are talking about improv and how the philosophies therein can actually indeed be quite useful in bolstering your work effectiveness. So you're going to learn one, how improv's yes and philosophy can enrich many facets of work. Two, improv's wisdom on conducting better meetings. And three, how to reframe difficult conversations with a little yes and. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we talk about here, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep105. That's awesomeatyourjob.com slash letters EP and then the numerals 105. And while you're over there at awesomeatyourjob.com, I'd encourage you to check out some of the cool stuff from our 10 Days to Winning at Work free email course about slashing waste out of your work week taken from tidbits from my flagship training program or the Gold Nugget email summaries, which share the quick prescriptive wisdom of the guests in an email you can read in under two minutes. So please check out awesomeatyourjob.com when it's good and handy. So first things first, here is Bob. Bob Colhan is the founder, president, and CEO of Business Improv and a world-class leader in creating experiential training and development programs for corporations of all scopes and sizes. Based in New York, Chicago, and L.A., Business Improv serves a large international roster of blue-chip firms such as Google, PepsiCo, American Express, Capital One, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Ford Motor Company, Hilton Hotels Worldwide, and Starwood Hotels and Resorts Worldwide. Colhan's consulting and teaching work with these clients emphasizes the use of improvisational techniques in developing leadership, improving managerial structure, honing team skills, fostering a collaborative corporate culture, busting blocks to creativity, facilitating conflict management, connecting millennials, and encouraging creative and adaptive problem solving. His latest book is called Getting to Yes And. Here's Bob. Bob, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome About Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. I think we're going to have a lot of fun and laughs along the way. I always like it when there's, I've had maybe three-ish guests with a comedic background, and it always makes for a fun chat. Uh-oh, you're setting the expectations pretty high yeah, here Yeah, don't fail me. <laughs> and the thousands I'll do the listening. best I can. All right, super. Well, actually, we'll start with a rather serious note then. So I was perusing your book, and I really dug the way you said the line, return on investment means something to me. And I could totally resonate that as a trainer. You see all sorts, and some lend themselves to an ROI, and some i scratching my head a little bit, wondering what the heck are they doing there? So- Maybe you could kick us off by telling a fun story of a cool transformation you saw with like a group or a team when you introduced them to using these business improv principles. I could introduce you to many. So it's really kind of a roll of the dice on which type of group you want to hear from. And maybe I'll, I'll give you this option as well. I mean, are you looking for sort of scientifically and engineer-minded individuals or the creative types, you know, one side versus the other, or is there a specific field as well that you're looking for? I would like a hard-nosed business, money, money, money-loving group, if I can get choosy. 
Oh, absolutely. Okay, so this was actually mentioned in the book. I don't think I can mention the group of investors by name. However, it's a major player in the finance world, and I was working with their elite performers, so the best of the best, who one of whom literally was handling a top three basketball player's money. I want to be careful not to mention that person's name as well. And so really what the focus was on was how to listen to what these high income earners are saying and process it in real time, then cherry pick facts that would ultimately allow those high income earners to understand that these investments, X, Y, and Z, best fit their portfolio. So these investors could go in, of course, and try to push it on them or shove it on their laps and say, X, Y, Z, trust me, I've earned this money for you go this direction. Most people in this day and age, though, are much more communicative and want to be heard and want to have a relationship with people, including the people handling their money. So it's important to build that relationship with them. So that's one of the key aspects that we're focusing on right away, using the tenets of improvisation to slow down, be focused, listen to what somebody else is saying, use the elements of what they're saying to show that you understand them, thereby strengthen the relationship with them, and then ultimately show them why the XYZ investment best services them. And we did that as well in the spirit of telling stories in real time. So how to take this data, this raw material, and make it measurable and impactful and memorable to people who might not otherwise be interested in XYZ percentage over this and yields this. Okay. Well, that's really interesting and fun. So in practice, was there a unique sort of a tactic or an exercise you use in the business improv world to unlock those kinds of listening behaviors? Everything has to start with yes and. You know, I know that's in the title of my book. It's really the cornerstone of all improvisation around the world. So I didn't create this phrase. And there's been many other books with that in the title, as a matter of fact, as well. This is a phrase developed by Diola Spolin in the 1930s in Chicago. The tenets of improvisation, specifically around yes and, focus on yes being unconditional acceptance and and being a way to slow the brain down and focus on how you accept what was given to you. So the improv definition of yes and is yes is unconditional acceptance and is you take what's given to you and you build directly upon it, which isn't, at least in connotation, always the case in business. Really what we're talking about is yes being a form of understanding and and being a bridge to how you understand and how you are authentically in the moment. And that really is the foundational block. I mean, that's got to be block number one. And that single two-word phrase has so many different levels of applicability, including showing understanding, slowing the brain down, and postponing judgment. Okay. Well, there's so much good stuff there. So- can you maybe unpack this principle for me a little bit? At Second City, I did a uh, improv intensive, which was Great. really fun. And it's so funny. I told my friends, I think it kind of loosened me up. They're like, you weren't already loose, Pete. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what I really remember, like years later, was when it comes to the yes and, was if one person in a scene says, oh my gosh, what's this giant safe doing here? And the other person says, it's not a safe, it's a spaceship. Then that leaves everybody wondering, what, what, is it a safe or is it a spaceship? I don't, I don't know what's going on here. It's just sort of confusing and lame for everybody. And I thought that was a great example. It was like, you're right. It really is. Like you would have to play by that rule, that principle philosophy to really have a ball game on your hands and to make anything 
kind of sensible and fun emerge from it. So I guess that's my experiential understanding of yes and and why it matters and is important. Could you maybe unpack a little bit more how it shows up in business in effective, productive, good ways? Yes. And oh, <laughs> you're talking about one of the great institutions that teaches improvisation, sketch, comedy, and certainly the mothership as well. So you were learning from a fantastic place without knowing who your teachers are. I'm going to roll the dice to say that you had many great teachers from that great place. And scenically, what you're breaking down is the denial and negation aspect of a no or no but versus a yes and in that scene. So look at this giant safe. That's not a giant safe. This is a spaceship can easily be reframed instead of that at least implied no, or as you said, I think no, it's not a safe into a yes and. So this, look at this giant safe. Yes, and it's also a spaceship. So you can take that framing and instead of negating it and denying it, reframe it as a yes and, and now it's the best of both worlds, which opens up possibility and potential galore, scenically and improvisation. Now you could take what we just talked about there and overlap it to business in a number of different ways. The most classic, of course, if you're going to put one over the other would be a collaboration or even a creative collaboration, a brainstorming session. You can extend it that far as well. Wherein in a collaboration, idea sharing, brainstorming session, if somebody brings an idea to the table and somebody else says, no, we can't do that, or no, this is not a safe, it's a spaceship, you've slapped the hands of the person who said that, you've taught that person that they're not supposed to participate in this way, and in doing so, you've taught a lot of the other people around that person that there's a certain set of limitations and structure on how to succeed in an open collaborative setting. So the use of yes and in that setting as it relates to creativity and exploration and discovery is really creating a culture of acceptance wherein ideas are shared openly and people are not afraid to fail, not afraid to say the dumb thing, the wrong thing, knowing that at least for a period of time in this culture of acceptance, The diversity of perspective and opinion is cherished and we thrive upon it. In fact, we feast upon. And in doing so, the greatness comes out inherently, just like it should actually in an improv scene. Oh, geez, I'm inspired. You talk good. That's probably why clients like you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we just started. That's only one aspect of the two-word phrase. Well, keep it going then. Well, what I was going to say, though, in the spirit of you know applicability to business in relation to a collaboration, idea sharing session, even brainstorming session, something that's you know revolved around a need for openness and creativity, there's a difference between that creation process wherein you really have to apply and regulate the tenets of yes, improvisation specifically, yes, and as it relates to creating this open culture. And draw a line between that section and the time to start judging it again. Because not okay. every idea ultimately is a great idea. And you slipped upon the difference, or you, well, you mentioned sketch comedy versus improv. And so if we're going to continue a parallel here, once you get into sketch comedy, there's a refinement process that needs to take place. You're practicing the material over and over again. You're workshopping it. You're looking at different heightening elements. You hopefully have an outside eye, a director of some kind, or at least coach who's giving you feedback from that audience perspective and intelligent improv slash sketch comedian perspective. And this type of refinement then moves into the judgment section. Not all ideas are going to work. Not all premises can be 
actualized. Otherwise, the scene itself is just going to be messy and convoluted, and you're going to lose the comedy aspect of that. And that works the same in business. Once you start moving from the creativity process, which is the creation process, to the innovation process, which is driving that creation to a productive use, you have to have that fine-tuning and judgment take place. Oh, that's so good. This is reminding me a little bit of a previous guest, Afif Ganoum, in episode 46, talking about creativity and, and why it doesn't flourish in many organizations. And he was so fascinating. He said, boy, you go into these different rooms of people and they want to get creative or whatever. And he said, you could just feel palpably the fear in the room associated with, ooh, I don't want to say anything, otherwise I'm going to... There's going to be some sort of negative consequence like, and now that's your job, go do it. Or, <laughs> no, that's stupid. Or you'll just mm-hmm. get a little bit of like a look from people like, who, who is yeah. this joker? What is he thinking? And so and so people just like shut down, like, well, forget it. It's not worth it. I'm not going to try anything out if it's ultimately just going to cause me pain. And you're saying that the yes and has a powerful means of diffusing that such that people feel affirmed, but there's a later sort of editing stage such that the insanity does not ultimately prevail if it is a terrible idea. Oh, absolutely. One cannot execute every idea. So the spirit of yes and is not to accept every idea as if you're going to execute every idea. It's to slow down. It's to listen to it. And the and is the bridge to how you're paying attention to it, how you can bring your own ideas to the table, you know, whether it's spitballing and brainstorming or in the spirit of leadership, just, you know, building a relationship wherein somebody knows that they can bring ideas to you, communicate with you, regardless of it being right or wrong or even applicable at that moment. And then the execution of those ideas, that's really where the money hits the road, I guess. I don't know what I'm trying to say with this one. You know, it's where you have to select the ideas and you have to do something about it. The trick though, as you mentioned though, is to understand that those barriers like fear that you brought up is a very real and very contagious thing. And yes, and is a great way to regulate that fear and hold people accountable so that that does not become so contagious. It completely log jams the meeting and keeps people from talking. Mm. And then you have to have another meeting to solve the problem that you didn't (laughs) solve in the first meeting or a third meeting to solve that problem you didn't solve in the second meeting, which was the problem you should have solved in the first meeting because it was a culture of fear and judgment as opposed to just saying, let's get all ideas out there, separate this process from the judgment process, and then we'll get into the judgment process. Well, that's great. So you said the word meeting several times. That's a particular thing I want to zero in on. So how do we use the yes and and principles that you're sharing in your business improv teachings to run meetings more effectively? Yes. Okay, here we go. So, and I just want to keep yes anding you. So I just said, oh, Take yes, okay. I'm calling myself out rather. Okay. So, to use the tenets of improvisation to help meetings run effectively, really what we need to do is back away from the meeting itself and look at how the meeting is being run. Who's the leader in this meeting and what is the architecture of the meeting? So, just like going into, and I love talking with you as somebody who spent some time in the Chicago improv scene because I'm just going to continue to overlap the two. All right. What you're really talking about now is thoughtfulness on a director standpoint, if you're the leader of this meeting, right? Or the coach or the teacher inside the classroom, if you're putting up that final show. 
And you have to be able to understand what that show looks like, what's the running order, at least in some form. You know, it might not come to the table understanding completely as it's ever evolving. Yet, if there's no leadership and there's no guidance, then the possibility of that meeting running successfully is challenged, to say the very least. So before even going into the meeting, having some kind of game plan of what you want to cover, your agenda, Mm -hmm. and time limits to it. What I would also say in the spirit now of going back into the improvisation techniques are energy and attitude are choices. So before an improv performance, and Pete, is it safe to assume you did a few performances in the intensive? Well, it was like four days, but yeah, we had an opportunity to sort of shine. Fantastic. What did you do before the performance? Did you guys huddle up, get together, shake a mate, something like that? Well, yeah, we did a little bit of warming up, sure. There you go. Okay, so when I say energy and attitude are choices, I'm talking about getting in the right mental state and the right physical state to go into a meeting to be productive. Now, you can extend that past the leader and say anybody into a meeting. So just like you did before show, taking a minute or two, where are you mentally, where are you physically? If you're not physically at a place you need to be so that you are mentally on point, how can you get your blood pumping? How can you move around a little bit? And then entering this meeting now, I'm going to go back to yes and with a yes and type of philosophy. You be the person with a good attitude. You be the person holding other people accountable in a fun way so it doesn't turn into an alligator death roll of negativity and we're shooting people down, encourage the people who are less vocal to speak up more, take the people who are more vocal and redirect them so that they're not steamrolling other people. Be that great facilitator, whether you are leading from within or leading from on high. And then you've set yourself up for success because you've created a game plan on how to succeed. You're mentally prepared and you are physically ready to go. Okay, that makes a lot of great sense and I see the carryovers there. So I would love to get tactical for a moment then when it comes to getting your energy and attitude into a great spot. How in practice do you do that quickly? And sometimes I'm thinking like some listeners here, they might be kind of in isolation, a little bit of an island. Like I can't grab my teammates and and say, hey guys, we're just going to get silly with it a little bit in a room. And, uh, you know, red ball, zip, zap, zoop, whatever, you know, so, (laughs) (laughs) so what would you recommend for an individual trying to get in the right energy and attitude place, even if they don't have collaborators who want to play with them? Fantastic. You're hitting it around the head because any time you're going to affect something, it has to start with the individual. So as we tipped upon before, do you know your energy? Do you know your attitude? Let's say now in this scenario, you're finding that you're not sick. You're just not energetic. You're not hungover. There's no external factors influencing the fact that you are a little lethargic and you're mentally unfocused. So what can you do? First, if you can isolate yourself, why not? You know, including going to the lavatory, the bathroom. Okay. You know, I think the eyes are windows to the soul, and I'm a big gut check type of person that if I'm a little bit off base in any capacity, go to the bathroom, splash some water, just look in my eyes, and I get the opportunity mm-hmm. objectively to see what other people are looking at, really. And, you know, then I can say, oh, this is really what you're dealing with today, and see what I can change about that. More often than not, you can find some isolated space to, let's say, shake a mate. That's what I asked you before if you did that. You know, shake your right hand eight times, left hand eight times, right foot eight times, left foot eight times, all the way down to counting down eight to seven, seven to six, all the way down to one, and really working on speed and just getting your blood pumping. If you can't do that, why not shake your legs a little bit, just bounce a little bit? 
pace a little bit with a little bit of intent and focus a little faster than you normally would walk through an environment. You know, do a couple of laps around your workspace just to get the heart pumping and also in the spirit of an athlete, visualize what you're going into, you know, get mentally focused so that you're not shooting off 20 emails before you enter this meeting. You're focused, you're present and you're ready to go. And simple things like that. And I would also throw out the idea of you know not eating a heavy meal before okay, meetings. Sure. You know, eating something a little bit light that kind of keeps you ready to work right there. Now, let's take a scenario, though, that you're sitting at your desk and you really can't move around. You can't make it your way to the uh, toilet. There's no isolated space. You could sit on the edge of your chair, which forces you to do one of two things, really lean all the way forward onto your desk. Or if not, then you're sitting really straight up. So focus on sitting straight up, bounce your feet a little bit, just get the blood pumping. Because if the blood's pumping, the heart's moving. If the heart's moving, then the oxygen inside the blood is reaching the places it needs to reach. And that's what we're talking about here. How do you oxygenate the brain? Okay, that's great. So now I'm curious then, are you doing any special breathing as you're doing these movements or sittings? I think you should always breathe. Right? I'm on favor. I'm in favor. Yeah. I don't know if there's like a in four counts, floor. out six counts. I don't know if there's any special, <laughs> you know, style or protocol or you just my, my wife had a natural birth with both her children i'm sure oh, she wow. could just through that if needed <laughs> you know as a former high school athlete and wow i can't believe i'm hearkening back to my glory days uncle rico <laughs> uh, i was told by my track coach breathe in through your nose out through your mouth you know i think the hair follicles the cilia and your nose filter the air so it's more pure when it's going through your body I'm not really going to give direction one way or another on that. I would say, though, that you should always breathe, 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 breathe. It's such a huge aspect of life because if you're not breathing, you know, the alternative is scary. So I'm in favor of breathing. Okay. Noted. Well, I think people really do kind of forget, you know, so it's, 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 it's true. not a flippant suggestion. So no, well, <laughs> again, yes. And you just say when we're brought into presentation training all the time, people get tensed up and when they get tense, they lock their knees. And when you lock your knees, oddly, you cut circulation to the brain in some capacity. And that's where a lot of people pass out. So yes. one of the tricks is just bending your knees. Bend your knees often, you know, it creates a little bit of a bounce. If you don't want to bounce, then just bend your knees every once in a while to keep the blood moving. Oh man, I used to help with these youth leadership seminars and the big one was in Washington, D.C. This is Hobie, World Leadership Congress. Arthur okay. Woods, we talked to him back in episode six. Arthur Woods, he was a fellow Hobie guy. So at the Hobie World Leadership Congress, there people would pass out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Which was spooky, you know, because you have 400 high school sophomores in the hot sun in DC in the summertime. And so when we would ever would, we would take our photo, like we would instruct them repeatedly, bend your knees, bend your knees. You're standing in close proximity to a couple hundred people <laughs> in the hot sun, <laughs> you know, don't pass out right now. Bend those knees. So well said, well said. Well, and I'd like to hear a little bit about how, you know, these business improv principles can show up in being more influential. Like if you have to handle a tricky conversational piece of territory or maybe a negotiation, how does some of this stuff come to life in those contexts? Okay. Some aspects, if I understood you correctly, you're talking about difficult conversation of some kinds and other aspects you're talking about negotiations. And the third one, which was actually the first one you mentioned, if I recall correctly, was influence or being more influential. Right. So that will be the one I'm focusing on because I think you can apply 
influence to the other two aspects, whether it's difficult conversations or negotiations in some capacity. Okay, let's do it. All right. So there's a big difference between influence and persuasion, right? And persuasion is getting somebody from point A to point B. And influence is really how do you affect people? How do you influence them? And you can influence them in a number of different ways. So previously, we were really talking about energy and attitude being choices. Well, sure enough, your energy and attitude can both be contagious. You can influence Mm -hmm. people with your attitude, and you can influence people with your energy. An example of that would be the chameleon effect, where you go in and you sit a specific way, and next thing you know, you look around the table, and all the people are sitting the same way that you're sitting, whether you're leaning forward or leaning back. It ends up becoming contagious in that capacity. And framing of language can actually do the same thing. So now you're looking at yes and and the difference between yes and and yes but or the difference between yes and and no or no but, for example, and the way that it makes people feel. Now, as you start applying that toward a difficult conversation or negotiations, quite often people have associate but with a trigger word of negativity, denial, contradiction, some capacity, and it really sets a lot of people off in that capacity. So you can reframe your negative comment, your difficult conversation that you have to have, criticism, if you will, in a positive light. If you're trying to build a relationship that is based in trust and respect and a shared purpose, for example, if you're trying to lead like a tyrant, you know, you could use whatever language you want. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you're going to be a more mindful leader, though, somebody who is aware of emotional intelligence and where people are and really trying to cultivate talent so that ultimately the loyalty is existing in that relationship and people want to intrinsically work for you, not extrinsically Mm -hmm. the money, the bonuses, you know, the heart, the gut, that's intrinsic motivation. So how do you inspire that in other people? The framing of language makes a big difference. And we're not talking about a significant period of time in either one of these, you know, we touched upon the difficult conversations because leaders are pretty good at giving criticism without paying attention to the effect that criticism has on people. Mm-hmm. So it's the difference between putting your arm around somebody and walking around with them a couple of blocks and saying, let's talk through this, let's walk through this together, let's wrap our head around it, taking an additional 10, 15 minutes versus putting a steel toe boot on and kicking them really hard and saying, you should learn from that, which I just gave you. Okay. And I think there's a correct time and place to do a number of those, you know, and, and everything in between those two extremes. The key to this, though, is thoughtfulness. And improvisation is an art form that's based in the moment. You have to be present. You have to be there mentally as well as physically just to simply react, adapt, and communicate. So if you're really focusing on being present and being in the moment as it actually does relate to and link to directly mindfulness, then you can enter a difficult conversation or negotiation where you are acting either as the mediator or you're one side of it and they're the other side and you have to find that common ground. You could slow the pace of the conversation down. You can notice trigger words or emotional reaction from your partner or partners or adversaries perhaps. In that role, you can use that as a technique to fire up the conversation, or you can recognize that and diffuse the tension inside a conversation because of your level of preparedness, awareness, because of your level of awareness. You should come prepared, though. Absolutely. Now, what yes and is going to do is not negate the anger. It's to recognize the anger. You're recognizing the anger, the frustration, the adverse way that somebody's reacting to a negative comment. And 
Now here's the end part. Mm -hmm. You're doing something about it. You're putting yourself in the position to be thoughtful, to be mindful, to be influential as a leader. And a leader does not necessarily mean rank in your company. You could have a low rank and still be a leader. Okay, thank you. So now that's some great principles at work there. Could you maybe give us an example of a situation and maybe even some explicit verbiage? Not that it has to be profane, but rather it's just spelled out the actual words people are saying about just one of those conversations unfolding in real time and how it could go down. I can give you a difficult conversation that turned into a yes and scenario and a huge learning opportunity for me. Let's take it. Okay. Right out of the gates, early on my career at the Duke University Fuqua School of Business, I'm an adjunct professor there and created an exec ed program. It was a four-day program, three hours a day, four days in a row, day one, all about postponing judgment. Shedding inhibitions and postponing judgment. That was the theme. That was the focus. And this was the first time I was working with high-ranking people, VP status people. And at the end of the first day, they went up to the dean, and it turned out to be a vocal minority, yet they were very vocal, and the dean didn't know it was a minority at that time. He thought it was these people were representing the entire class, said that they don't want to work with me anymore. So I got fired. Oh, they did not postpone their judgment. One day judgment. Yeah, yeah. There's an irony that one fourth of the way through the program, they decided there was nothing left to learn. Wow. So the dean comes to me the next morning before the class, you know, it was an afternoon class and I end up having like an eight o'clock in the morning meeting with the dean of exec ed and he tells me what happens. So that's the yes part. And the and part is him saying, look, I'm going to honor your contract with us. You're not going to be in front of these students. You're not going to be in the classroom. What I want you to do is take the rest of your time here at Fuqua and I want you to redesign the program. I believe in you. I believe in this. And this is an investment in you. So make it work. So I spent the next three days gutting the program with my co-facilitator at that time and putting it back together again in a way that makes sense to business people so that there's a great understanding of what improvisation is and how it actually supports and serves needs inside the business community. At the end of the four-day commitment, the third day now with this homework assignment, the dean of exec ed comes back, we meet with him. He asked, what did you do? Show it to me. So we walked him through it from top to bottom, inside and out, answering a lot of difficult questions now in the spirit of yes and, some of which we were prepared for because of the way that we put this program together. Others we weren't prepared for. So still having to answer those difficult, unexpected questions with the stakes of you know what's going to happen with my relationship there. He liked it so much that he pulled us out of this other program, which was a creative leadership program in which we were a small piece of a much larger pie and created a business improv pie in and of itself that only focused on this stuff. Very good. Okay, so the cool demonstration there was on the part of the dean in terms of he's not just like, what are you doing? This is garbage, get out of here. But he's like, yes, there were some substantial complaints and... We have an opportunity to integrate those such that we make a superior offering. Absolutely. And the icing on that cake is several people from that four-day program from which I was released ended up taking the three-day program that I co-created and rated that as a much more effective creativity program than the other program. Mm. 
That's so cool. Nice work. Well, that's an example, though, of, as you mentioned, the dean employing a yes-and philosophy and even yes-and tactics to turn what could be deemed a failure or a loss into an opportunity and ultimately a successful program for them. Oh, yes. Those were probably three pretty intense days of intellectual work there, huh? Under the gun. (laughs) You know, it was three very humbling days because I was living in the corporate housing area that these students who fired me were also living in. And I had to walk by them every single time I was going to meet with this other co-facilitator for this program. And I felt their glares. I felt their shame. You know, I was this is the first time I got fired. And now I have to continually walk in front of as if I'm displayed in front of the people who fired me. Oh, and man. I really had to figure out over the course of those days how to get the metal of my character back. And, you know, it started small and then raise your head. You don't have to make eye contact. Just walk forward. Understand that you're going to live. You're going to breathe. Now make eye contact. You know, so it was a. I think a study on sort of the spinal evolution of man from oh. when I first got to the fire to the time I ended those intense three extra days. Oh, wow. Well, that's good. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was rich and right on point. So, well, now I'm curious, is there anything else you want to make sure we cover off before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? No, no, let's do it. Okay, sure thing. Well, could you start us off by sharing a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? You got to use what you got to get what you want. <clears throat> oh, that's fresh. <laughs> Complete with, with, well, could you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I think some might just let that flow or run right by them. And it moved you. Tell me more. I don't know who gave the quote. It was a sample in an Eric B. and Rakim song, uh, I think from the late 80s, a rap. And it's always resonated with me because the core of that is you have everything at your disposal. And when people tell you you can't succeed, it's up to you to believe in them and die, essentially, or say, no, this is something I believe in and I'm going to push forward. And I can't tell you how many people told me that I'm going to fail. This is not worthwhile. Why am I going down this path? Especially because many of my peers are very successful in the entertainment industry, tremendously. You recognize them in a heartbeat. And I have many more friends who are less recognizable and very successful as well. And those, fortunately, my friends weren't the ones telling me I couldn't succeed. Those who were on the periphery were like, why don't you go down that same path? And I just ended up going down this path. And the spirit of that quote is just, if you are driven and you open yourself up to learn and can recognize possibility and potential and opportunity and can capitalize on it and learn from mistakes, then you can continue moving forward and finding a place that you truly love. Mm, That's great. Thank you. And could you share with us a favorite study or experiment or a piece of research you find interesting? I am a big fan of learned helplessness. Martin Seligman is the psychologist, and I can walk you through a couple of examples of this. Really, he at first studied helplessness, learned helplessness, and then that moved into learned optimism. And now he's one of the leaders in positive psychology and learned happiness. So his career on his own is an interesting one where it started, if you will, in the negative and moved to the hope of optimism. And now, like, really, how do you achieve that great happiness aspect? So all three are really great. The learned helplessness to me is particularly interesting because a lot of people, I think, 
incorrectly feel like they're trapped in situations. And many of them, be it circumstantial or relationship, are matters of choice. And we enter into depression at certain times in life based on things that we can really control that we just don't do anything about. And depression, I don't, of course, one mean chemical depression. I mean environmental or circumstantial relationship. And two, I don't mean full, flat out, I'm not leaving my bedroom and you're sitting in the dark crying depression. I'm talking about just that mental state of not being happy. And I think there's a lot of choice and power that we as human beings have that should be enacted more often than it is. Mm, Powerful. Thank you. And do you have a favorite book? Oh, I love The Princess Bride, the book and the movie. the book. It's a pretty cool book. The Godfather is a really, really good book in my mind. And a favorite product or tool or app, something you use to be more awesome at your job? Oh, that I used to be more awesome at my job. Improv, 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 improv. That's so many tools and so many apps. Yeah, I don't know. A picture of my kid, that really gets me fired up. Oh, awesome. You know, teaching improvisation is one of those things that you don't really need a whole lot. You need a room that has enough space to, you know, be physical in, do some experiential learning. You need a bunch of people who are at least curious enough to see what this is all about. Mm, that's it. Okay, got it. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's boosted your effectiveness? Oh, being physical. Being physical really does boost my effectiveness. When I can get into, I call it fighting shape, which is not like it used to be, whereas I was felt, it's more like, okay, I'm physically active. I can run a little bit. I got endurance. And that time, you know, whether it's in the gym or on a bike or something like that, or even I studied Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a few years, you know, rolling around on the mat. It's a great way to just wash everything else away and refocus. And that's actually, you know, like being on stage as well. You have to be present. You have to be there. The difference between that and like being in the gym is like you can visualize and strategize and think and brainstorm when you're on a treadmill or on a bike versus when you're rolling around in jujitsu, that's much more like an improv scene. If you're not present in that, you're going to get hurt or hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be like an improv scene though. <laughs> Understood. Okay. And would you say there's a particular piece from your teaching or training that really seems to resonate and get people kind of nodding their heads and saying, oh, yes, this guy is brilliant. You know, any Bob originals that really seem to be hitting the mark? You mean like quotes? Yeah. There's more than one way to hit a pinata. Oh, okay. Seems to resonate with a lot of people, especially when it comes to creativity and collaboration. Leadership, the quote I have is, I'm all for grassroots efforts. They're very real. However, grass will not grow if somebody's standing on it. Mm. So where are you standing? Oh, good. Thank you. And what would you say is the best way for folks to contact you? Folks want to learn more or touch base? Contact Business Improv. That's my company. Or you can go to at Callahan, my last name on Twitter. Buy the book, Getting the Yes And. (laughs) Releasing shortly. Coming out very soon. Yeah, January 24th. Stanford University Press. Getting to Yes And. Very cool. And would you say you have a final challenge or call to action you'd like to issue those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yes. Try. Just simply try. Create places in which you can fail a little bit, experiment, learn, grow, evolve as leaders. 
create that area and that opportunity that you can do it for yourself and figure out how you can do it for one or two other people around you when the time is right. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, Bob, this has been such a treat. I wish you tons of luck with the book launch and all that you're up to. This has been a blast and keep on trucking. Yeah. Woo woo. The pleasure is <laughs> mine. I appreciate it. It's great chatting with you. I really like that idea associated with getting in the groove in the zone with some blood flowing, some water on the face, a look in the eyes in the mirror can get you in a totally different headspace for better results. So a handy reminder for me and hopefully for you too. Once more, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to stuff that we've mentioned here, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F105. And I do encourage you, if you have not already, please push the subscribe button so you won't miss folks like our next guest, Artie Jordan. We got another 2U executive here talking about the importance and how to develop the soft skills. And he's coming from an IT background. So stereotype shattered IT guy with great soft skills and encouraging that within his team. So hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you.